0: This message was preached as pulpit supply by Jared File. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it is beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. Uh, If you would turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter six. Genesis chapter six. A little limited on time, but fortunately we have a shorter text today. We're going to look at the first eight verses, Um, and. I guess I'll just begin with kind of a showing where we are in the book of Genesis. I, I preach uh, expository sermons. I go through uh, the text, and, and particularly I go through um, biblical books. Uh, I think one of the things that that does for the preacher and for the congregation is it, it keeps our agenda on... Uh, on what the Bible has to say. It keeps it on God's agenda. And I'm not tempted to just go and just preach whatever topic is my hobby horse. Um, so uh, I've been preaching through the book of Genesis and we just happen to be at this text today, um, which is, is, is kind of uh, looking at it from our modern perspectives. We look at this and, and it, it looks kind of bizarre to us. Um, but just kind of backing up to, to what leads up to this passage uh, you have, of course, Genesis one. God creates the world. He creates everything. He speaks, and the the earth and everything comes into existence. He speaks, and and let there be light, and there is light. And and he he just speaks. He tells things what to do, and they just come into existence. And uh then he, we see how he tenderly creates human beings he creates man and woman uh male and female in his own image and he he tells them be fruitful and multiply and in chapter 2 we we see uh adam uh, you know a kind of a, a a retelling of that story in, in a very personal way uh, where uh, Adam, uh, he's seen alone and, and, and he needs a companion. And God, God creates a woman for him and he gives them this command, don't, don't, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, and Adam and Eve, we see in the next chapter, fail the test. Uh, they they are disobedient to God. Uh, they they uh, fall to the temptation of the serpent. They they partake of the fruit, and um, in that chapter we see, a, in chapter three we see a uh, a curse that is placed upon the serpent. We see a curse that's placed upon the ground and, and we don't see a curse upon Adam and Eve themselves, but instead we see the consequences of their sin. You know, God told them at the moment that you eat of the fruit of the tree, you will surely die. And God did not lie to them. He uh, it, it, things didn't work out in the exact timing that we might expect. They didn't just drop dead uh, the moment they ate. But they, there was a sentence of death that was put upon them the moment that they ate of that tree. and. Later on in chapter 5, we see that's carried out through every single generation. We come to the end of of, uh, uh, of uh, Adam's life and it says, and he died. And, and each one in chapter 5 in this genealogy, there's and he died, and he died, and he died. We see the, the consequences of their decision, the consequences of sin entering into the world is death. And that that ratchets up even in the next chapter, in chapter four, where where we see Cain and Abel, where where um, it, it starts out so hopeful after the fall, after the the Adam and Eve are are kicked out of the garden. Uh, there's a promise, remember, there's a promise that there will be a seed of the woman that will come and crush the serpent's head. And in chapter four, uh, you see. Cain and Abel are born. So there's children that are born. And we think, yes, maybe Adam and Eve may be thinking, these, maybe one of these will be the seed. The promised one that will come and, and crush the serpent's head. And then the hopes are dashed. The hopes are dashed because Cain kills his brother Abel. And uh, they're wondering, what, what's going to happen? The, the seed, the one that we thought was going to be Uh, The one who would come is now a murderer. But at the end of chapter 4, you have um, Eve names her nextborn child Seth because God has appointed another seed. Pointing back to Genesis 3.15 about the seed of the woman that was going to come. She says, God has appointed another seed. It's pointing forward to this Savior who is going to come. uh, One who would crush Satan's skull. Chapter 5, again, I've already referenced it, but we see this repetition over and over again. The consequences of sin that's laid out uh, each generation. A uh, person lives for so many years. They have a son. They name him this. And he lives this many more years. And he dies over and over and over again. And he dies and he dies and he dies. We see a break in that pattern with Enoch. Enoch, it says that he walked with God and he was not. So uh, Enoch, along with Elijah later on in, in, uh, uh, later on in the Old Testament, are the two people we see in the Old Testament who don't die. God just immediately takes them into heaven. Um, but uh, after Enoch's time, we, we have um, uh, a few more generations. Then we come to Lamech, who has a son, and he names him Noah. Because Noah means rest. And this one, Lamech, um, Noah's father says, this one will bring us relief from the curse on the ground. So Lamech here, he's looking forward to that seed of the woman that's to come. He thinks this may be the one. This may be the one who saves the world. This may be the one who will uh, bring us relief, and and no longer will we have to deal with the the consequences of of, of sin and how how our labor and our toil are so so fruitless. Um, and then that that ends chapter six when we come to Noah and he has. Uh, has some sons and we begin to look at our text today and this this text it seems bizarre to us because we come to the end of this genealogy and it starts talking about the sons of God and the sons of man and and the the, these these two groups uh, the, the sons of man and the daughters I'm sorry the sons of God and the daughters of man intermarry and they have children and what is this all about Um, So let's look at our text. We'll read uh, from Genesis 6, beginning in verse 1. um, And we'll hear from God. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever. For he is flesh, his days shall be one hundred twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward. When the sons of God came into the daughters of man, they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Lord, it is inspired, inerrant. It is totally truthful. And Father, we, sometimes we just don't understand everything. But we believe it because it is your word. Uh, because you are truthful in all the things that you have revealed to us. Father, uh, speak to us this morning. Help us to, to, to embrace um, what your word says. And help us to be um, obedient and to learn uh, from what we uh, read in Your Word. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, we begin, and it tells us when man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them. And in this, uh, we 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 might just you know pass over it pretty quick, but. Um, here, it's using the same word whenever it says man began to multiply on the face of the earth it's using the same word that it's told to Adam and Eve in chapter 1 whenever it tells them be fruitful and multiply so they're obeying what God had commanded there, there, there are more generations of human beings who are being born um, we see that in the genealogy about how each generation is, is growing and, and, and other sons and daughters are being born and, and humanity is just beginning to to flourish, okay? And and, And it tells us, when man began to multiply upon the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as wives any they chose. Now, we have to step back here and ask the question, who are the sons of God and the daughters of man? And now this, again, this is a difficult question. This is a, uh, a, is a it's maybe a controversial question. It's a, it's a question that, that many different interpretations have come. And it's really not one that we ought to be divisive about. Um, I think we can be believers in God's word and come to different positions about this. Uh, I'm going to advocate for what I I think is probably uh, what I see as the most likely, but at the same time, I'm going to go ahead and share what one of the other interpretations is. Um, Some have come here and seen the, the sons of God being the godly line of Seth, and then the sons or the daughters of man are are the the wicked line of Cain. And these these two lines coming together and intermarrying uh, may may have been a threat to uh, to the, the the seed promise. And that, that, that God saw this as a wicked thing, and so he he, he decided to destroy the earth so that this could not uh, continue on. Um, now, uh, there are many who hold this position and, and I wouldn't I wouldn't put them down for this. But I, I, I think the, the, the more ancient position, uh, the, the, a position that, that comes even uh, in, in some of the writings of the old rabbis, uh, it comes a long time before. And I think we see evidence in the New Testament that the New Testament authors held this position is that the sons of God here are angelic beings now this, whoa, this seems kind of bizarre to us. Uh, the idea that an, an angelic beings came from uh, and, and left uh, their proper domain, as Jude says, came down to earth and uh, intermarried with human women. I mean, this, this seems weird. <laughs> this seems bizarre to us as modern people to think about that concept. Um, but here's the reasons why I actually think this is the the right oh I'm getting too excited here. I think this is the right position. Um, first of all, the, the 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 phrase the sons of god in the Old Testament only appears a few times, and every other time that we see the phrase the sons of god in the Old Testament, it it refer, refers to angelic beings. We see it in um, the book of Ju- uh, Job, <laughs> book of Job. Early on in that first chapter, whenever uh, the sons of God come before God to, uh, to make their cases and Satan was among them in that very first chapter of Job. Uh, if, if you're not familiar with it, go back and, and read that text. Um, also, another place in the book of Job refers to the sons of God and, and how they uh, sang for joy, I believe it was, whenever, whenever God created and, and that being, you know, there, there, human beings weren't created yet at the time. So the sons of God would have been the angelic hosts that were praising God whenever he created all of creation. Um, also, we've got um, Daniel. We've got the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And when, when they were thrown into the fiery furnace, we've got Nebuchadnezzar who looks down into the fiery furnace and he says, didn't we just throw three guys in there? But there's a fourth man in the fire. And the, the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods or, or the son of God. And uh, so we, we, we have uh, the idea there that this, this uh, son of God language is, is a heavenly being. Okay? Uh, whether that's uh, an Old Testament appearance of Christ or whether that's an angelic being. Um, we can debate that. But... Um, but anyway, every place in the Old Testament that we see this phrase, the sons of God, it appears that that seems to be uh, talking about an angelic being. And then we come to the New Testament and we have the passage that, um, the, uh, that uh, Chad read from, from Second Peter, that talks about um, how God um, punished these angels who, who, who he, held, he holds uh, under judgment. Waiting for eternal fire. Okay, he, 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 he holds them under punishment. Along with uh, right right next to the, the idea, he talks about uh, Noah and how he he saved Noah out of the flood, and then he talks about um, the how he God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah and he saved Lot. And I think these are two. Pairs that go together. These angelic beings that talks about that God reserves for punishment in in, uh, uh, 2 Peter goes along with Noah. It's pointing to the same passage here. um, And and it's talking about what's going on right here. Also, in um, the uh, Sodom and Gomorrah passage. Uh, the, there's the judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah that goes along with the salvation of Lot out of, out of that. So uh, for that reason, and also the book of Jude has a very similar use of, of this idea. It talks about um, angels who left their proper domain uh, and, and committed sins. Uh, I think those things, I mean, what other story in the Old Testament that you can think of would be talking about angels who sinned? Uh, there's not really a whole lot of other things that we can think of in the Old Testament other than this passage right here. Whenever the sons of God come down and intermarry with the daughters of man. now That's bizarre to us as modern people. That seems weird to us, but I, I think that's what, um, what the author, what Moses is communicating through this text. What God is communicating through this text. And the Lord says, after this happens, He says, the, um, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. So um, we can see back in the chapter before, in Genesis chapter 5, there's the genealogy where it has these lengthy, lengthy lives. We've got uh, Methuselah, the oldest man who ever lived, to be a 969 years old. We've got my namesake, Jared. Jared. Who lived to be 962 years old? We've got uh, Adam. He lived, also lived to be over 900 years old. Um, all of these long, long, long lives. So I think the youngest person in there uh, was Enoch, who was taken, uh, who 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 never died, and and he lived to be I think 100 365. Uh, of all those, and and here because of the wickedness, because of the uh, the the. Um, Uh, multiplication of evil within the hearts of man, God looks down and says, no longer are they going to be able to live that long. I'm going to put a limit. They're only going to live to 120 years. And even today, you know, if you you find the oldest person on earth, I think a couple of years ago, I, I saw a news story about these two ladies who were the oldest people living at the time, and they were both 116 years old. We're not going to get much older than 120. Um And then also we've got Moses, the author here, the author of the first five books of the Bible. Um, What did he live to be? At the very end of the book of Deuteronomy, uh, whenever Moses dies and he's not allowed to go into the promised land, it tells us that he was 120 years old. We end the the, the Pentateuch, the first five books, with with, uh, someone who is 120 years old. So... We have a multiplication of wickedness. Uh, God God limits the lifespan of man. And then it tells us the Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them. What is that about? What is Nephilim? (laughs) Nephilim. the word Nephilim literally uh, it means fallen ones. Uh, the word Nephal in Hebrew means to fall, so the the, the word Nephilim means uh, fallen ones. And um, the Greek translation of the Old Testament translated it as giants. Uh, these giants uh, were there living among that time. Um, we see it, it's a question for us: Who are these Nephilim? who better to understand who the Nephilim were than the people who were around at the time that Moses was writing this. Um, They knew who the Nephilim were. And we see in the Pentateuch, in this first five books of the Bible, uh, another reference to the Nephilim. In Numbers... Oh, I'm getting... It's already 20 minutes in. Uh, In in Numbers chapter 13, we see the Nephilim referenced again. And these Nephilim are... um, the ones who are in the promised land. The, Moses sends uh, his, uh, the spies into the land to check out the land to see if they can take it. And we know the, the, the story. Ten of the spies, they were frightened. They didn't, they didn't think they could take it. And they said, the Nephilim are there. The Nephilim are there. We're like grasshoppers to them. Which probably the idea of why, why the, uh, the, the Old Testament translators of, of the Greek Old Testament... Uh, since it's only used in a couple of places, called them giants he gave, because the Nephilim—they're the ones who were grasshoppers in their size. Um, so, what is Moses doing here? We can get the idea that the Nephilim may have been the children that were produced from this union between um, a uh, the angelic beings and human women. Um, I'm going to go with a, a, an understanding that's different from that. Uh, I, I'll, give, I'll give credit to one of, one of the people that I had uh, uh, class with when I, I was studying in seminary, uh, Peter Gentry. He, gave, he gives this interpretation. He says that when he looks at the phrase, and also afterward... He, and he looked at all the places in the Bible whenever this phrase is used. Uh, the, what he comes to the conclusion is that, what that what, it's not saying also after the flood, also after these times. But it's saying um, at the time when these sons of God came and intermarried with human women, at that, at that time, they were already around. These Nephilim, they were already around and they were also there after the time that um, this occurred with the sons of God coming and intermarrying among the, uh, the daughters of men. And what, what he argues, and I, what I think this makes a good sense, is that um, Moses is writing this this way to say, no, these Nephilim that you're so afraid of when you're wanting to go into the promised land, they're not like some demigod, like, like uh, uh, Perseus or something like that. Right? They're not, they're not like these these the Greek go- demigods. No, they're they're not some kind of offspring of the gods. No, they're just they they were around before this happened, and they were also around after it happened. Uh, so so he's saying they're just they're just human beings. The 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 children that were produced from these unnatural unions they were wiped out in the flood. Uh, And and Moses would have been communicating to his audience, don't be afraid of them. You can go in to take the promised land. So (laughs) we're we're running out of time, but I I think where I want to go, where I want to emphasize is the last verses here. So the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great upon the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man upon the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man from whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. What we see from Genesis 3 onward is just a multiplication of sin, a multiplication of wit- wickedness. So where you get to the t- time of, of Genesis chapter 6, and you've got strange and bizarre things happening, pointing out the wickedness of the people. And you also have, have this comment that the, the every intention of the thoughts of the hearts of, of man was only evil continually. Continually. All the time, day and night, from morning until they went to bed. Every day, it was always just evil. Thinking of, what can I do next? What ways can I sin now? I feel like this is going to fall off. (laughs) Um, And uh, God looks down on that and He decides it's time for me to bring judgment. It's time to bring a flood and destroy the whole world. The text tells us, God said, I'm sorry that I have even made man. Um, (laughs) I'm just falling all over this thing. It didn't happen that way the first time. Um, This can, I don't have time to deal with this really, but it's not saying that God changes his mind. It's not saying that you know, something happened that, that, that uh, caught God by surprise and, and he, he somehow changed his mind. No. Uh, but I, I think what it does emphasize is that God really truly hurt to see what had happened. And, and he decides, I'm going to bring judgment now. What we can see from that is just like the time of Noah, just like the times here, our hearts, human hearts, are full of wickedness. The Reformers said that you know, our, our hearts are idol factories. We're, always, we're trying to, to find something to worship other than the one true and living God. Apart from His grace, we would be just like them, thinking only evil all the time. And there is a judgment that is coming. Jesus will come again the first time that He came. He came uh, to save humanity. He came as the fulfillment of that promise from Genesis 3 that one day a uh, a, a seed of the woman would come and crush the serpent's head. He died upon the cross and defeated Satan. Oh, death, where is your victory? (laughs) He just keeps falling. Uh, And uh, when... uh, I'm sorry. I got. I'm getting distracted. This is bad, and I'm out of time too. So, um, so Lord, um, so judgment is coming. Judgment is coming now. He's he is going to one day return again. He's coming not not to die on a cross like he did. 2,000 years ago. But when He comes again, He will come in judgment. He will put all of His enemies under His feet. And there is one way to be, uh, to be able to avert the wrath of God. There is one way to be able to escape the punishment like that that came upon the people of Noah's day. And that is to trust in the seed. To trust in Jesus who came and died for us, who defeated the devil, who defeated Satan. To look to Him. He was the one who took our punishment. To, to live by faith in him, verse eight says, "But Noah found favor in the eyes of the world, uh, of, in the eyes of the Lord." In contrast to, to the wickedness of the people that were there, in contrast to the fact that everyone was all wiped out during his day, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Do you want to have grace? Do you want to be able to to have that said about you, that you found grace in the eyes of the Lord? Believe God. What did Noah do? God told him, build an ark. God's like, what's an ark? He believed God. He followed his instructions. He made exactly what God told him to make. And just like Abraham, who comes later, it was credited to him as righteousness. If if, if we want to avert the wrath of God, then we must believe God. We must trust in faith. We must believe that He provided a Lamb and it was Jesus Christ. So, I'll close with the admonition. Look to Jesus. Believe in Him. Trust in Him. He is the only way that we can survive in the wrath that is to come.